Hello and welcome. I'm Megan Crabtree, and one of my favorite times of the day is when I'm getting ready and can throw on a true crime case without distraction. Every week, we dive into a new case while you grab your makeup, sip your coffee, and get ready with murder. Where are my millennials that remember the early 2000s era of just absolute joy when it came to music. Like I know dang well you all still have a playlist that you listen to that was strictly from the early 2000s time period because it was just genuinely so good. Now it got even better when we got to experience that music in person at a concert. And this is what Morgan Harrington was doing on October 17th 2009 when her and her friends went to a Metallica concert. While the night was going well initially, everything took a turn when Morgan left her seat and never returned. This is the tragic murder of Morgan Harrington. It's Saturday, October 17th, 2009, and 20-year-old Morgan Harrington is at her parents' house in Roanoke, Virginia, taking a little breather from her college life at Virginia Tech to get ready for a concert and a night out with her friends. As most girls do, Morgan took time getting her outfit picked out with her mom for that night, and it was gonna, of course, be cute, but she needed it also to be functional for her to dance. While Morgan had been living in an apartment just off campus for nearly three years with a friend, she often drops in to see her parents, which was only about 45 minutes away from where she lived. She would pop in, usually a couple times a week, with her laundry in tow and to hang out with her mom and dad. Morgan was a huge music fan, and her dad had actually gifted her this concert ticket to Metallica. And Morgan ended up wearing a vintage Pantera band tee along with a black miniskirt, tights, boots, a black backpack purse, and a piece of jewelry that was a family heirloom. It's pretty clear that Morgan was really close with her parents. She was actually the youngest of their two children, and she had always been so much fun and so spirited. Her mom described her like champagne. She was, quote, bubbly and a cause for celebration. Unquote. She had blonde hair and blue eyes and was truly gorgeous inside and out, you guys. So she's in her third year of college at this point in her life, and she planned on becoming a teacher. Even though she had taken major steps into her independence as an adult, she still often struggled managing her finances and often relied on her father for help in that department, which I think we can all look back at our college life and remember when we weren't so good at managing money. Now, after the concert that Saturday, Morgan was actually planning to head back to her parents' house the following day so that her and her dad could go over some of her math work from school and balance her checkbook. By noon on October 17th, Morgan was ready to go to this concert, and she had planned to head out and pick up her roommate Amy and two other friends that were also going. The concert was being held at the John Paul Jones Arena at University of Virginia in Charlottesville, and they were going to spend the night at her apartment, and then the following morning, like I said, Morgan was going to head back to her parents' house to kind of work with her dad on her finances. So Morgan's dad had last spoken to her that day. around 2 p.m. the day of the concert and she had called him just to let him know like they arrived safely to the venue and she was getting ready to go to the concert and it's now 7 p.m. and this arena is just straight up packed with Metallica fans. Morgan and her friends look for their seats and they find them and then they watch the opening band start the show. So now it's 8 15 p.m. 
And Morgan gets up and tells her friends like, hey, I need to go to the restroom. I'll be right back. And it's like 30 minutes later and Morgan still hadn't returned to her seat. So her friend decided to call her cell phone and figure out like, where did she go? And I mean, this wouldn't be a big red flag probably. There are so many things that can catch your attention at a concert, like a merch booth or running into somebody you know. So her friends weren't initially super worried. They were just confused like where she was. So Morgan does answer her phone and she tells her friend that she ended up outside of the venue and she cannot get back in because the venue has this like strict no re-entry rule. It's not super clear why she ended up outside of the venue. I'll dig into that a little later, but there are a few things that play into this that I think could have been the reason why she went out the exit. Morgan's friend Sarah actually had Morgan's car keys. So instead of Morgan sitting outside of the venue waiting on her friends to get done at the concert, she tells Sarah, like, you go ahead, take the car home, and I'll just find a ride home. No big deal. So that's kind of what her friends do. I mean, after the show, they did kind of look around for Morgan a little bit, but when they couldn't find her, they just headed home. So now it's the following day, and it's Sunday, October 18th, around 11 a.m., and Dan, Morgan's dad is expecting Morgan to meet him at their home to go over her checkbook and math work like they had planned the day before. Morgan's mom, Jill, went to church. So it was just like a really quiet morning for Dan. He's just waiting for his daughter. And he's thinking like, where is she? Because she told me she was going to be here by noon and it's starting to get late in the morning. Well, while he's waiting for his daughter to arrive, he receives a phone call from the University of Virginia police who inform him that somebody had actually turned in this black backpack purse that Morgan had been wearing the night before at this concert. Her ID was in the purse. And you know, Dan thought that this was strange, but it didn't set him off as super alarming immediately. He just kind of thought like, you know, that's weird. Maybe Morgan dropped her purse and like when she was getting in her car to head back home. But let me tell you what, a mother's intuition is so strong because when Dan told Jill what the police had told him, she instantly went white as a ghost and she just knew that something bad had had to have happened. Her thought process was that if someone found Morgan's purse in the parking lot, then where was Morgan? So as the time continues on and Morgan does not show up to meet her dad, things clearly start to escalate. Jill described it as, quote, one of those moments where you know that your world is getting ready to change, unquote. Then immediately they started to get on the phone and like try to get a hold of Morgan's friend. But when they got a hold of them, they told her parents that they hadn't seen Morgan since the middle of the concert. And it was at that point that Dan called the university police back and told them that Morgan was, in fact, missing. Thank God the police took their concerns very seriously and immediately jumped into action, searching the arena and surrounding parking lots. In the overflow parking lot, like near the athletic fields by this arena, they do end up finding Morgan's cell phone with the battery missing. Obviously, this is not a good sign, and it only confirmed Dan and Jill's concerns that something terrible had happened. By Sunday night, the Harringtons are just frantic, as you can imagine, when they still haven't heard a word from Morgan. They stayed up all night just waiting to hear something from their daughter, but they didn't have 
any luck. It's now the early morning hours of Monday, October 19th, and Morgan's parents make the two-hour drive to Charlottesville to talk to the police. So initially, the investigation was strictly a missing persons case with no evidence of foul play because according to Morgan's friends, it really wasn't unusual for her to go off on her own at random and then just kind of like pop back up. So investigators kind of start their search by retracing Morgan's steps from the night prior. And they began with interviewing the three friends that were with her. Now, according to them, Morgan hadn't left her seat prepared to like deck out of the concert that night. She didn't have her keys. She didn't have like everything she needed, you know? So she genuinely got up to use the restroom, not prepared to leave the venue. Sarah tells them about the call that she made to Morgan to figure out where she was, which was right around 8.48 p.m. And how Morgan explained that she had got locked out of the venue and that she would just find her own way home. So her friends actually did end up looking for Morgan after the show, like I mentioned. They kind of searched around the venue and when they didn't have any luck there, they headed over to this local restaurant that was like close by to see if maybe she just ended up in there, but they had no luck. So they decided that she must have found a ride home and then they also went home. Now, CCTV is so tricky in a crowded arena like this. Investigators also grabbed video from numerous businesses in the area, from gas stations and grocery stores and banks. And frame by frame, they went through hundreds of hours of footage, but none of it revealed any evidence of what could have happened to Morgan. They say that all of the video that they have, there wasn't anything on there that was relevant to Morgan or her case. So at this point, they turned to the media, pleading with the public to come forward if anyone saw Morgan that night. The purpose really was to make up time because a lot of time had been lost since she had been missing many hours before the police had even started investigating. They interviewed over a hundred people in the first three to four days of this investigation, and all they really had was a purse and a cell phone that turned up, which just wasn't a lot to work with. They continued to comb the area for any physical evidence that they could find, but they uncovered nothing. Morgan's mom, Jill, goes on to say, quote, it's a strange place to be where your best case scenario is hoping that your daughter is held somewhere against her will. Unquote. It's now October 20th, and Morgan has been missing now for more than 48 hours. Her parents try to stay, you know, as calm and as hopeful as they can. They went to the public pleading with whoever had Morgan to let her go free. They went on the news, they went on shows, they went on interviews, anything that they could think of to get eyes on their daughter's case. And within two days, $100,000 was raised as a reward for the return of Morgan. And Metallica even offered an additional reward for $50,000 and posted that on their webpage. And they also like posted this, you know, memo to their fans that if anybody was at the concert that night and they had any kind of video footage to turn it into the police. So as tips start to flow in, a really bizarre picture of Morgan's movements outside of the arena begins to emerge. Around 8.50 p.m. that night, Morgan was spotted outside of the ticket booth area and headed toward the main entrance of the arena. Investigators cannot figure out 
how her trip to the bathroom ended up with her exiting the front doors of the arena, especially with multiple warnings throughout the building that say like they're plastered everywhere. You cannot gain re-entry once you leave. And this wasn't just like any old concert, you guys. She was a huge Metallica fan. So it makes no sense why she would have walked out the front door on her own free will. There were 18 women's restrooms inside of this arena. So there was no reason she would need to exit the building to use the bathroom. It just doesn't make any sense. Investigators identified some witnesses outside that were entering the arena when they encountered Morgan. And they claim that she seemed totally incapacitated. She was acting erratically outside and some reports from witnesses even suggest that she obtained an injury on her chin from falling because she was acting just so spastically outside of this arena. Now, Morgan's friends do say that she was drinking that night, but they also tell investigators that she was not remotely drunk the last time that they saw her. However, we can't know for sure what happened between the time that they saw her when she left her seat to the time that these witnesses spotted her acting this way. Could she have been drugged? Did she have more to drink? Like we know that she probably fell outside of this venue, according to witnesses, and received some kind of injury. Did she have a head wound or was it just like a superficial wound? We also know that she was fumbling through her bag and dropped it. And this just is not typical behavior of somebody that is sober. So witnesses go on to say that they offered Morgan help and she said no and refused any kind of assistance. After compiling all of these accounts from these witnesses, investigators start to put together a better idea of Morgan's movements outside of this arena. And it leads them to Copley Road Bridge over these like railroad tracks just east of the arena. And this was the last place that witnesses spotted her, which was right around 9 30 p.m and they say that she was trying to catch a ride hitchhiking morgan's parents hear this and they are just shocked right they can't understand why morgan would act like this or hitchhike her mom says that this was not at all typical behavior for morgan so at this point we know that morgan is exposed to the cold she doesn't have her purse and she doesn't have her keys for her car, so she doesn't have a way home. Investigators go on to say that while it wouldn't typically be normal behavior for Morgan to hitchhike, she may have done so on this night because she was just so desperate, you know? So police continue their search for Morgan, and apparently there's like this massive tunnel system under the University of Virginia that they went and searched. They got their dogs and searched, and they started considering even like potential potential dump sites that somebody would dump a body and searched those, but they don't find anything at all. So weeks go by and everyone is just like so discouraged. Investigators stopped their searches on December 16th, just eight weeks after Morgan had gone missing. They believed that they had done all the searches that they could do at that time, and Morgan's parents continued to utilize the media as much as possible to keep their daughter's story alive. So Charlottesville had this paper called The Hook, and it also launched like their own personal investigation into Morgan's case. And Courtney Stewart, who was a reporter for the paper, well, she starts plugging into the town gossip to see, you know, if she can come up with anything for the case. And during one of these like 
organized searches where they had many different members of the community there. Courtney went to this search and she overheard this lady in the back stand up and say, quote, why hasn't anyone returned my call? I've been trying to give you my tip. I saw her, unquote. A woman named Norma Parson told Courtney that she was delivering newspapers around the University of Virginia early that Sunday morning around 3.45 a.m., just about six hours after the last sighting of Morgan. And Norma was making a delivery to residences around the campus, and she saw Morgan standing near this, like, opening to the West Lawn, and she saw her out there. Well, she noticed that she was also accompanied by three white males. Now, what in the world is this girl doing out here in a mini skirt? at 3.45 in the morning, in the cold, with these three dudes. Now, the next morning, Norma saw Morgan's photo on the front page of the local newspaper, and she knew immediately that this was the girl that she saw early that Sunday morning. And she did call the police, but she says that she doesn't believe the police took her tip very seriously, though investigators would say that they did investigate that tip. Now, reporter Courtney, well, She was like, screw that. I'm going to dive into this tip. And she goes to the place that Norma says that she last saw Morgan. And when she gets there, this guy tells her, like, there is no way that that's possible because there was actually a wedding reception being held in this, like, larger pavilion there. And he says that this Norma girl probably saw guests leaving that reception, not Morgan. Now, Norma does stand by her story. And she says, nope, I saw Morgan that day. There's no question. But Norma's story also has an eerily similar account to another story that reporter Courtney uncovered. Reporter Courtney was just getting it, let me tell you. There was this woman who was like, driving into Richmond, Virginia to this arena to go to the Metallica show. And she was actually like kind of late getting into the show. So she's trying to get into the parking lot. And you know how it is. People are walking in front of your car. Well, she says that as she was nearing like a parking spot, four young men accompanied by a young blonde woman wearing what matched the description of what Morgan had on while they crossed in front of her car. And she goes on to say like the female looked quote, wobbly, unquote. And she was wondering why they would be leaving the venue when Metallica was about to go on. So police can't really corroborate any of these accounts because there's no way to verify it, which is just frustrating. But I mean, I'm glad they were considered. It's something we definitely have to keep in mind. It's now November 11th, nearly a month since Morgan's disappearance, and police get a call that another department recovered a shirt that matched the description of the shirt Morgan was wearing the night that she went missing. It was found by a student on the ground next to an apartment complex. This location was an area that was like heavily populated with university students, and if the t-shirt was Morgan's, it would be the first piece of physical evidence in Morgan's case since the person 
and cell phone discovery. Oddly, the shirt was found just like totally exposed to the naked eye. Police had searched this area before and never located this shirt. At this point, this is the only evidence that they have to work with and it was sent to a forensic lab where they do locate human hairs on that shirt. And they were able to determine that this was in fact Morgan's shirt. Now, unfortunately, the shirt would turn out to just be another dead end. They didn't uncover any additional evidence in the area that the shirt had been found. December comes along, and it's now been two months since Morgan has gone missing. Her parents spend Christmas without their daughter, and the missing time of the unknown to them is just excruciating. Developments in this case would slow to a total standstill until January 26th of 2010, when suddenly everything changed. David Bass is a farmer nearby and he's taking his tractor ride through the farm to check on the fences because they had just received like a bunch of snow. And the Bass farm was just 10 miles from this arena. So It was on this like remote corner of the farm that's, you know, just not really navigated a whole lot unless they have to be out there. Well, David comes across what he thought was just a deer carcass, but as he gets closer, he can clearly see jewelry and clothing on the remains. He immediately calls 911 and police respond. Forensic teams get to work to determine who the remains belong to. Meanwhile, Someone from the media calls Morgan's parents and informs them that they believe Morgan's body had been found. Through DNA testing and dental records, it was confirmed that the remains found on the farm were, in fact, Morgan Harrington's. She died of homicidal violence of an unknown origin with rib and arm fractures, as well as a fractured skull. This missing persons case has now officially turned into a homicide investigation. Now, unfortunately, time would continue to pass with no leads until July of 2010, when a cold hit from a criminal case database connects forensic evidence from Morgan's case to another case from 2005. So in September of 2005, a woman had been walking home from a grocery store in Fairfax, Virginia around 10 p.m. when she was suddenly grabbed from behind and dragged to this community pool. She was sexually assaulted, but the assailant took off running when a car from a passerby startled him. Now, this girl fought back during this attack and thankfully was able to obtain DNA from this assailant, but she also provided a description for this sketch artist. This same man that attacked this woman is now linked by DNA to Morgan Harrington. Forensically, there is a DNA connection, but they still don't know who the actual suspect is is at this time. Morgan's case would go quiet once again until September of 2014, when sadly, her case was linked to a murder of a woman named Hannah Graham. Hannah Graham's friends last heard from her via text message at about 1.20 a.m. on September 13th, 2014, after she told him she was on her way to a party, but that she had gotten lost. According to surveillance footage and like witness testimony, among the last places that Graham was seen was at this restaurant called Tempo with a guy named Jesse Lurcy Matthew Jr. I know that's totally a mouthful. Apparently, like 
his friends called him LJ. And he was a 32-year-old man who was a person of interest because, you know, being seen on the CCTV with her. Now, a witness also said that Matthew was seen in the restaurant holding Graham's arm and that Graham looked drunk. The last witness to see Graham alive says that she was with a man who, quote, did not look friendly, unquote. And as Graham was standing by a vehicle identified to be Matthew's orange 1998 Sebring, the witness heard her say, I'm not getting in that car with you. So this guy, Matthew or LJ or however, whatever you want to call him, he sounds like a piece of work, right? Well, that's because he is. You see, a decade prior to this incident with Hannah, he had been accused on two separate occasions of sexual assault at Virginia colleges. The reported assaults occurred within like an 11 month period of each other and police did investigate each report, but in either incident, there was no criminal case brought against him. Now on October 18th, 2014, Hannah's remains were found on an abandoned property. Sound eerily similar to where Morgan's remains were found? I mean, like, this dude has an MO for sure. In fact, Hannah's remains were found just five miles away from where Morgan was found. It didn't take long for police to name Matthew as a person of interest once they found Hannah because there was plenty of CCTV with him clearly on it. And there were witnesses that saw them that night. Everything quickly fell apart for Matthew when they also linked his DNA to Morgan's case. And on March 2nd, 2016, after Matthew pleaded guilty to the 2014 murder of Hannah Graham, and the 2009 murder of Morgan Harrington, a judge sentenced him to four consecutive life sentences. Under the plea agreement terms that he took, he gave up his right to appeal, and he is not eligible for geriatric release. Thank God, because this guy is a psychopath. It was also reported in 2019 that he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and I honestly can't say that I feel bad for the guy. Like, karma. Okay. So unfortunately, I don't think that Morgan and Hannah are the only murder victims of Matthew. Like we know he had multiple sexual assault victims that go beyond our knowledge because he was never charged. But I have a hard time believing that this dude just totally didn't kill anyone from the years of 2009 to 2014. He is a psychopath and I absolutely believe that there are more victims out there that we may never know about. Well, guys, that's the case for today. I hope you enjoyed getting ready with me today, and I hope that you have the best day ever. Stay aware and stay safe out there. Bye.